you, Shelley. May God add his blessing to the reading of the scriptures this morning. And may the words from my mouth be words that we each need to hear. I want to remind you, if you're watching from home, that uh, we will be celebrating Holy Communion uh, shortly. And uh, you may want to prepare your uh, elements there at home, whatever it may be, bread and crackers and or crackers and uh, water or whatever you have there uh, to use as elements. Also want to remind every, or let everybody know that this year, this Advent, um, we're going to do things a little bit different, and we're, we're going to celebrate communion each week for the, the entire month of uh, December all the way through Christmas, including Christmas Eve morning. We will also have communion that morning. In the 1990s, a newspaper published a humorous column that in this column they imagined how some newspapers and magazines in our country might headline a story on the end of the world. And they thought that maybe here are some headlines that may, we might see. The Wall Street Journal might print, Dow Jones plummets as the world comes to an end. Sports Illustrated might use just a simple two-word headline, Game's Over. Discover magazine might say, how will the extinction of all life as we know it affect the way we view the cosmos? Ladies Home Journal might put on their front cover, lose 10 pounds by Judgment Day with the new Armageddon diet. And Entrepreneur magazine may say 10 ways that you can profit from the apocalypse. We begin the season of Advent today focusing on two things, the birth of Christ and on his second coming. And it's a little scary. Listen to some of the words again. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Sounds scary. But we need to take Jesus' words and put them into context. Many people have abused these words down through the years and have taught some things about his return that he simply did not say. First of all, and this is super important, Jesus stressed, no one knows when it will happen. Jesus said the angels in heaven don't even know. And then he said something that shocks us. Jesus said that he doesn't even know when he is going to return. He says no one knows about that day or that hour, not even the angels nor the Son, but only the Father. Again in Matthew 24, but about that day or hours, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not the Son, but only the Father. Imagine that. Jesus does not know when his return will take place. When he will return, when will history come to a close and a new world order come right straight from the heart of God? When will that begin? The answer is, I don't know. We don't know. The early church 
thought for sure it would be in their lifetime. It's been more than 2,000 years. So why does God wait? We don't know. We couldn't expect Jesus. We wouldn't expect Jesus to say that he didn't even know. But he says it plain and clear. There's a story told about a Nobel Prize winning scientist from Princeton University who was talking about the miracles of modern science and modern medicine. And he opened the floor for questions. And people were asking many questions about cancer, a cure for cancer, about AIDS, about Alzheimer's and dementia, and many of the diseases and the, the afflictions that uh, we suffer as people. And to every question, this great scientist, this very knowledgeable man, said, I don't know. Who would think that he would say he didn't know the answers to all of these questions? You'd think he'd have at least one or two, but he did not know. We would never expect Jesus, ever, to say, I don't know. It's disappointing. In fact, when the, when the scribes who were writing the scriptures sat and they were copying everything out by hand, word by word, and faithfully copying it exactly as it was written, they got to this part that comes up in Matthew 24 and verse 36, and it's, the phrase says, Jesus said, I don't know. Well, they couldn't write it, so they left it out. And we still have copies of those manuscripts. There are some out there where those words are not included because some of the scholars and the, the scribes would not write those words because they didn't believe it was possible that there was something that Jesus didn't know. And still, books get written. People say that they know when it's going to happen. Well, don't waste your money because they don't know. No one knows. Maybe we shouldn't be too surprised that he said, I don't know. There is a lot in this life, isn't there, that isn't revealed to us. We don't even know what's going to happen this evening. We don't even know what's going to happen five minutes from now. So why should we be surprised when there are things in this life that we don't know and that God doesn't want us to know? It's best, in many cases, that we don't know. Let's be careful. Let's be careful about how we evaluate our lives. We live in an uncertain world. Let's not waste our time listening to somebody who thinks they've got it all figured out and they tell you when Jesus will return. Do you know how many dates in my life alone have come and gone? People who have said, Jesus is going to return and the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in on such and such a date. I've read stories and seen uh, uh, videos of people who have gathered in groups and gone up high on a mountain because today was the day when Jesus was going to return. And that day came and that day went. Jesus said, nobody knows when this will be. And we really can't say not only can we not say much about when it will be, but we also can't say a whole lot about what will happen when that day comes. The scriptures provide us with very few details about Jesus' return, and much of what we do have is written in a kind of a code, I guess I could say, 
that's hard to understand. The parts of the Bible that predict the end of the times, scholars call it apocalyptic literature. It's written in a kind of a code, and it can be interpreted in different ways, and different people have interpreted it in different ways through the years. My guess is, because it was written so long ago, it's difficult for us to interpret, because if it were being written today, instead of when it was written, Instead of Revelation describing the armies of heaven going to war at the end of time and the words being used like riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, uh, you know, moving through the, through the skies, They'd, it might be more like uh, coming in, in space shuttles or uh, uh, missiles or rockets or that sort of thing. Horses don't have much to do with war today. But the writer of Revelation used that terminology to describe the things that he saw, the predictions that he was making. So let's not look at Revelation or any of that prophetic scripture as literal. It's going to be exactly the way it's described. In other words, don't let the fear mongers stress you out. Okay? We have very little information about the end of time. And there's a good reason for that, I think. If Jesus' return means the end of life as we know it, that the whole world is going to change, it's going to be dramatic, for sure. But other than that, we don't know when it will happen. We don't know how it will happen. We don't really have a lot of details. We like to think we do, but we really don't, of what's coming. So here's my suggestion. Let's not worry about it. Let's focus on how God wants us to live right now, today. That's the purpose of today's reading, to remind us of two important things. One, the future is in God's hands. It is not in ours, and I'm really glad that it isn't. And number two, we can trust the God who loves us for the future. We don't have to worry about it. Truth number one, the future is in God's hands, not ours. Just like we don't know when he will return, we don't know what the future holds. Some people are very excited about the future. They see cures for cancer and other diseases coming down the line. They see people living in good health way beyond 100 years, maybe 150 years, sometime in future generations. If medicine continues to advance as quickly as it has these past 50 or 100 years. The World Future Society forecasted some things in the year 2000, and they made some predictions about what they thought might happen in the next 25 years. Well, we're 23 years later now. By the, they predicted that by the year 2025, the world would have a billion millionaires, well, I don't know how many millionaires we have in the world right now, but that was their prediction back then. They also predicted some things that were, kind of, were very accurate. They predicted drastic improvements in artificial intelligence. Hmm, seeing that today, aren't we? In genetic engineering, we're seeing that. In robotics, in machines, 
being able to perform tasks that only humans could perform before. And it's all happening. These advances are changing our lives, some for the good, some think not so good always. But they also predicted, and this I found to be very interesting, 25 years ago, they predicted that there would be another Cold War with China or with Russia or with both at the same time. Hmm. War with China or with Russia would be a nightmare. But war with both of them at the same time, we can't imagine the horror. In 2000, they were also deeply concerned about climate change when nobody else was. And now it's happening. It's happening more quickly than ever. A lot of predictions. A lot of predictions for the future. Now it's the future. Some of them good. Some of them not so good. How much more of this will happen? Nobody knows. But here's what we do know. We know who holds that future. You know the song we sing once in a while, he's got the whole world in his hands. God loves his creation. He loves all of his creation with a love that cannot be understood. We say we understand, yes, Jesus loves me. We sing it, you know, we say we understand it. But we don't have a clue. We really cannot comprehend the love that God has for us, for each of us. Here's what we need to do. For now, make good decisions about the future, the best as we can, and then leave the rest up to God and trust God that all will be well. The future is in God's hands, not ours. When Jesus spoke these words, things were, you know, you'd say, oh, is this world's crazier than it ever was? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. The world's always been crazy. It was a very turbulent time back then, back in Jesus' day. In 70 AD, about the time that Mark was writing this gospel, the Roman army did the unthinkable. They destroyed the temple, the great temple of Jerusalem, which the Jewish people had built to worship their God. And they did it because the, the people... Uh, the Israelites had, had spoken against them and against them uh, having the audacity to think that they were so important that they should be able to rule the world. And so they destroyed it. And that, that devastated their world. That tore their world apart when it was destroyed. Of course, Jesus said that that was going to happen. At the same time, his... Followers were all being severely persecuted after he was gone. The times were dark. They were so dark that most Christians said, he's going to be back soon. Jesus is going to be returning soon to, to restore order, and, to, and it's going to be in our lifetimes. And they really believed it, but it didn't happen. Instead, his disciples were reminded by the leaders of the church in that day, not to be afraid. Things are going to be okay. That doesn't mean we should ignore Jesus' words about his return. He wants us to live expectantly. That's what Advent is about. It's a season of expectation. We're talking about 
the day coming when we celebrate his birth, but we're also talking about expecting that day that will come when all will be well on this earth again. Meanwhile, let's just do the best that we can to live the way that God would have us to live here and now. How would it look to live the way God wants us to live? Well, I have a little story to tell that will give us a good example. There was an award ceremony that was held on January 27th of 2016 at the Israeli Embassy in Washington, D.C. The purpose of this ceremony was to honor a man named Roddy Edmonds. He was an Army Master Sergeant in World War II, and they were going to give him the highest award that Israel gives to people who are not Jewish. He was given an award called the Righteous Among the Nations Award. And it's an award which recognizes the heroics of non-Jewish people who risked their lives to save Jewish people during the Holocaust. Edmonds was the first American serviceman to ever receive the reward, and he's only one of five Americans to be given this award ever. He was there on the day of the landing of the American forces in Europe. He was captured and he became the highest ranking U.S. non-commissioned officer at Starlog 9A POW camp in Germany. Where risking his life, one day, he saved the lives of two to three hundred Jewish people. People who were certainly going to be put to death by the Nazis. In January of 1945, as the war was winding down, the stories told, the Germans ordered all Jewish POWs in this camp to report the following morning to the front of the barracks. They wanted all the Jewish people to line up and gather together in front of the barracks. Now, Edmonds knew what was going to happen. They were all going to be killed. Why were they going to be killed? They were going to be killed because they were Jewish. As the highest-ranking officer in the camp, Master Sergeant Edmonds ordered that all the POWs, everyone, Jews, Protestants, Catholics, Hindus, whatever religion you were of, didn't matter, everybody, all the prisoners of war, stand together with the Jewish people in front of those barracks. And so that morning, together, with this mass of soldiers of all different religions. There were about 1,300 men who stood there. When they saw this big crowd of prisoners, the German officer in charge said, they can't all be Jews. Edmonds stepped forward and said, we are all Jews. He stood his ground. The German officer walked up to him, put a pistol to his head, held the barrel against it, and said, I'm going to shoot you if you don't tell me what's going on here. He said, you can shoot me, but we are all Jews, every one of us. Now that officer knew that it would be a war crime for him to shoot Edmonds under the Geneva Convention, because prisoners were only required to give their name, rank, and serial number. They were not required 
to give their religion. The German officer finally became frustrated and left. Because of Edmonds refusing to give in, two or three hundred American Jewish people, soldiers, were saved that day. During the award ceremony in 2016, President Obama asked, would we have the courage of Master Sergeant Ronnie Edmonds? He went above and beyond the call of duty, Obama said. His moral compass never wavered. He was true to his faith. Edmonds' son, Chris, accepted that honor on behalf of his father that day. His dad died in 1985. Chris described this award as a fitting tribute to his father, who he said lived by a sincere Christian faith and loved everyone. Chris said if he were alive today, dad would say, son, what's all the fuss? I was just doing my job. But what he did was right then, it's right today, and it will be right tomorrow. In his remarks, Obama described Edmund's bravery as an instructive lesson for all of us. An attack on any person's faith, said President Obama, is an attack on all faiths. And for Americans in particular, it's an assault on the very idea that people of different backgrounds can live together and thrive together. When any Jew, any Jew anywhere is targeted for being Jewish, Obama said, we all have to respond as Roddy Edmonds did. We are all Jews. Roddy Edmonds stayed true to the values that he learned at a little country church, a little Methodist church in his hometown of Knoxville, Tennessee. He was true to his faith. We need to have more people who have a moral compass like Roddy Edmonds had. We need people who can be counted on to stand for what is right, not for what is convenient or what is easy at the moment or what is popular or what is safe, but for what is right and good and just. But remember this, we don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds that future. And we know that God is counting on us, his people, to be like Master Sergeant Ratty Edmonds, with a strong moral compass by which all people one day can be guided into the kingdom of God that is coming. Amen.